Hello, welcome to York Street. We hope that this sermon will be an inspiring and impactful one, just what you need at this time. For any of our sermon-based studies, please head to our website at www.yorkstreet.com.au. So grab a cuppa, grab your notebook, whatever you need, and we hope that you enjoy the sermon. Well, hello everyone. How are you all? Oh, you're going to have to do better than that. How are you all? Hey, there we go. Fantastic. Uh, just uh, a little bit of information, I guess, about me. I, um, yeah, my name's Dave. I um, pastor a church called Hills Baptist Church, which is in South Australia, in the Adelaide Hills. I'm a Port Adelaide supporter, so yeah, <laughs> not much luck for us this year. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're a multi-site church and it's my privilege to, to lead that community of faith. I'm also involved with a ministry which we call Ignite Ministries, which is an ecumenical young adult worship space where we basically gather young adults from all around South Australia and uh, we a time to worship and a time to pray and to seek God's face and we believe that it's in worship and prayer um, as my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and pray. All those things from Second Chronicles that God will heal our land. And how many of you know that God needs to heal our land right now? Anybody? Anybody? Amen. So that's, unity is, is big on my heart. I'm passionate about bringing the church together. So when Nick asked me to come and speak at Increase, I was like, yes, anything that is about bringing the church together to worship God and seek God's face, whether it's a, a crowd of 8,000 or a crowd of eight, whatever God wants to do, I'm in because that's God's heart. And so even though Increase was cancelled, it's an absolute joy and a privilege to be here with York Street this weekend, this Father's Day weekend. And as I've been thinking about Father's Day and thinking about the word that God would want to bring, chatting with Tim, this idea that, that Father's Day... Um, it's really speaking to this concept of legacy. And I think legacy is one of those things that's misunderstood in our culture where it's like, I want to leave a legacy or I don't want to leave a legacy. We, we don't realise the fact that a legacy is something that everybody leaves, right? Like what legacy means, the definition of legacy literally means imprint or to leave a mark, to, to, to leave an imprint on the earth. And everybody will leave a legacy in one way, shape, or form. Fathers, Father's Day, this is the day we celebrate. Like some of us are celebrating right now the legacy of a man, or maybe it's you know, grandfathers as well, so multiple men, who have left a really positive legacy on our life. But it's also the day, as Tim said before, where, where some people are actually lamenting the legacy of a man or multiple men who have left a negative imprint of our life. Everybody leaves a legacy. And as I've been thinking about this and speaking into this, the Lord's really just brought me to the book of Joshua to spend some time in Joshua. So today we're going to dive in there. But also not just this morning, tonight we're going to, we're going to preach uh, also from Joshua, but a completely different message around some spiritual warfare. And hey, if someone's getting baptised like, you guys have got to get there. Come tonight. It's going to be an amazing night. If you've got little E's, one of you, yep, tuck them to bed, but get here because uh, God's going to do some great things tonight. But 
we come around this idea, this whole concept of legacy. What does it look like to leave a legacy, to be someone who leaves an imprint that's worth following? I, I've got that picture. You know, uh, you go to the beach and it's sort of that, that semi-wet sand, like where you, you step and it's kind of soft by about an inch and as you step, your footprint, like the perfect footprint. You with me? I can think, when we think legacy, it... It's impossible not to leave an imprint. And the question is, do you want to leave an imprint that the next generation will walk behind? I don't know, for those of you who have kids, my kids, if I'm walking, they love to try and follow my steps and put one foot in front of the other. Or do you want to leave, or, or, or are you leaving a legacy that they want to run the other way? And the call for the church is to leave a legacy that the next generation wants to carry on, wants to keep walking, and wants to charge further on ahead. So with that, that sort of introduction, let's turn to the book of Joshua. And we're going to jump into Joshua chapter 3. And we're really going to bookend 3 and 4, but we'll start just here in verse 1, which says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go. Then you will know which way to go. I love that language. Since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits, which is about 900 meters, between you and the ark. Do not go near it. As we dive into Joshua 3 and 4 today, there's a couple of things I want you to understand. Joshua 3 and 4 are one story to be read together. One of the problems with reading the Bible, the way that we approach Scripture so often is we, we read just a few verses or we read one chapter and we don't realize that, that when the Bible was constructed, it wasn't constructed with chapters. People put that in later. But there's, So there's some things that belong together. Three and four belong together. You shouldn't read three without four and you shouldn't read four without three um, because they belong, right? They belong. Um, many, many... Years ago, I was a teacher. So before I was a pastor, I, I worked as a high school teacher. I taught phys ed and I taught Christian studies. I was in some leadership roles. And we used to run this camp, which we called Peer Support Camp. And Peer Support Camp was all about raising up the next generation of leaders. And so you would have, in year 11, you would have this special cohort. We called them a special group. And what they got to do when we had Christian studies or Christian living, this special group of year 11s, was set aside for that lesson to do mentoring with year sevens, okay? And in order to get chosen for that program, this special peer support program, which we built up heaps within the school about being our leadership development program, if you wanted to become a high school, senior school leader, prefect, this is what you wanted to do. So we built it up, and the way we selected them was in year 10, at the end of year 10, we ran a camp called Peer Support Camp which was a five-day camp, and it was all about leadership. It was all about uh, training them and, and watching them and seeing who were the people who would be best suited to this program. Now, the reality is, and the kids didn't know this, but by the time you've got to the end of year 10, you've got a pretty good idea, right, of who's going to make that anyway. 
So we just thought, like, let's do this camp. Let's, let's work with them, run a whole bunch of, of great programs. But also, it's a great opportunity to kind of mess with young people's minds. Anyone got children and just, you know, occasionally just like to just watch them squirm. Anybody here? Come on, thank you at the back, I see you. This is, this is something that as a teacher, right, students give you a hard time enough. Sometimes it's fun just to repay the favour. So we would begin this camp and we would, they, they knew it was a big deal, right? And so we'd start with this camp and we'd start, bring them all and go, this is going to be the biggest, most important five days of your life. Like, if you do well on this camp, you are on your way towards leadership and stardom. If you fail, you will never become a leader. No, we didn't quite say that. But it was like we built this thing up. And then we said, and your very first challenge, they've just rocked up, your very first challenge is to figure out what dorm you are in. And then we'd say, off you go. And we'd send them upstairs of this really old building. And when they got upstairs, half, these were the, there were two signs. Half the dorms had one sign, Half the dorms had the other. These were the two signs. So one dorm, well, half the dorms had a sign that just said, boys, no girls. The other dorms had a sign that said, boys, no girls. Are you with me? Some of you are not, and that's part of the fun. You see... I kid, when you've got a group of 15-year-olds and they walk, they're, they're already shaking because they think, man, this is so important. I've really got to get this right. And they walk upstairs and they stand there and they're like, boys, no girls. Boys, no girls. And they're like, oh, it's hilarious watching them try to figure this out. And the, the, the bright ones straight away are like, well, that's pretty obvious. Like, boys, no girls. That's a boys' dorm. Boys, no girls. Well, that's a girl's dorm. But then you've got the other ones who are like, no, I don't think that's the case. I think it's this. And they're arguing back and forth. It's just hilarious just watching them, right? And so then after about 15 minutes, eventually they kind of figure it out. They find their dorms. They come back down and then we debrief. And when we debrief, we talk about leadership and we talk about language. And we talk about how leadership is language. And language is more than just words, but it's about how words are put together and it's more than just the things that come out of my mouth but the way my body is and like my body language, it's, it's about constructing sentences, all of this stuff. So we have this great conversation right at the beginning about leadership because it's a leadership camp, yeah? And it all starts with two signs on a door. And if we understand that about life, how many of you know that leadership is language? How many of you know that when you're leading something or you're trying to communicate something, it's not just about what you say, but how you say it in life? Anyone? Come on, York Street right now. We know that, right? I just find it fascinating that when we come to Scripture then, that we assume that it's different. See, we've got to understand when we read the Bible that it's not just the words that are written on the page, but it's actually how those words are put together that matters, so it's one thing just to read the words. It's an entirely different thing to look at how those words are constructed in order to, to gain the meaning of what the Lord is trying to tell us. And as we come to three and four, this is a boys, no girls moment. This is 
3 and 4, one beautifully, incredibly well-constructed story that is all pointing towards one thing. Who wants to go to Bible college for two minutes? Anybody? Anyone want to come with me to Bible college for two minutes? Yes, great, fantastic. I, like, I've taught my church to talk back to me. You guys are going to have to talk back to me a little bit. So here's the thing. When we come to three and four, what you have to understand is three and four is something called a chiasm. Everyone say chiasm. This is what a chiasm is. A chiasm is a repeating structure that reveals meaning or, or emphasis, okay? A repeating structure that points to emphasis. And so as you look at three and four, there is a pattern that the author has put it together. So you can see that kind of pattern there. You can see that it's a bit like an arrow. So as we look at it, here's what we see. I'll run through it real quick. Beginning of chapter three, you've got the people of Israel standing on the east of the Jordan. So on one side of the Jordan, that's what we'll call A. Then you've got Yahweh promising to exalt Joshua. That's what we'll call B. Then you've got priests standing in the Jordan. So we'll call that C. Then you've got these memorial stones. Everyone say memorial. Memorial stones, that's D. Then if you keep reading, you realize you've got the priests and the people standing in the Jordan. So it's a repeating. So it's C again. Who's with me? And then you've got Yahweh exalting Joshua, B. And then you've got the people on the other side, which is A. Can you see that? So it's not just what is written, but it's how it's written. And all of it points to this one thing. So in the midst of this whole passage, there's this one thing that it's trying to force us to recognize. And what it's trying to force us towards is the 12 memorial stones. And so the story, contextually, what happens is, is Israel has been walking around the Jordan for 40 years. That's a lot, not the Jordan, the desert for 40 years. That's a long time, Right? And after 40 years, God says, right, it's now time to go to the edge of the Jordan River. So the whole nation goes to the edge of the Jordan River and they're camped there for three days. And then what happens is God does this crazy miracle where he splits the Jordan and the people go through the Jordan and they grab 12 stones and they take them to the other side and they establish a memorial. And the reason they ask, that's a great question. What's a memorial? A memorial is something leaving an imprint on the earth for the next generation to follow. A memorial is legacy. This is a story of legacy. So let's follow it. Come with me. So we see that what we just read from verse 5. So they're there. I'm going to do amazing things. Consecrate yourselves. Uh, Jump ahead to chapter 4, verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, so the waters part, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12, everyone say 12, stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Now jump over to verse 20, chapter 4, verse 20. Watch this. Why did they do it? What was the purpose of this legacy? What was the purpose of the stones? What is the whole three and four about? What is, the, what is it pointing to? And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? 
What's a memorial? What an awesome question. What's this all about? Why did my dad, why did my mum, why did my grandfather, why did my grandmother, why did they live the way they lived? And he says this, tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we crossed over. He did this. Why? So that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. How many of you want to live a life that generations from now, people will say, why did they live their life? And your life would stand as a memorial, as a legacy, saying the hand of the Lord is powerful and that the next generation would live fearing the Lord. Who wants to leave a legacy like that? Two people at York Street. (laughs) Who wants to leave a legacy like that? I want my life to leave a legacy that the next generation knows that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that they would fear the Lord. I want my children 20 years from now to know that the hand of the Lord is powerful, that he is engaged, that he is mighty to save and more than just knowing that they would fear him, that they would give their lives to him, that they would be devoted to him. The Bible says that, we we say, yeah, I believe in God. The Bible says even the demons believe and shudder. It's not enough just to say, yeah, I acknowledge God. No, it's about dying to self and following him. That's the legacy I want to leave. And my prayer is that's the legacy you want to leave. And if you don't want to leave that legacy, then you haven't met Jesus. And so my prayer for you is that you would meet Jesus and be wrecked by him and know who he is and say, yes, Lord. I want to follow you. I want my life to mean something, to leave an imprint worth following. That's what this passage is about. That's what this story is about, that the next generation would know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that the next generation would fear the Lord their God. And what I love about the Bible, York Street Church, what I love about the Bible is it doesn't just leave us with these great big ethereal concepts. It doesn't just go, yeah, wonderful. And then we all go home and say, fantastic, I want to live that life. How the heck do I do that? No, no, it it then gives us detail in the story to say, this is how it happened. Who wants to know the detail? Who's with me? Let's take a look at it. Oh, it's such a good story. I can't wait to preach it. All right, long vision. The first thing, the first thing he gives us is he calls us to this place of long vision. Watch this. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. So it's saying, okay, church, okay, Israel, It's time. It's time to witness a miracle. It's time to move forward into your inheritance, into the promise I'm going to give you. And in order to do that, what I want you to do is get out of your tents and I want you to look towards the Ark of the Covenant. 
And the Ark of the Covenant is going to go 900 metres, almost a kilometre ahead of you. And you are to stand as one with your eyes on the Ark. What is the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant is what symbolised the presence of God. What was inside the Ark? This is going to test our Bible scholars in the room. What was inside the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments, Aaron's budded staff, manna from heaven. Or, watch this, this is what you could say. Ten Commandments, it's almost as if that's, it's, that's the law. It's almost as if you could say that's the way, or you could say that's the truth. When you look at the budded staff, that was when there was this big fight between some of the Israel people against Moses and Aaron, and the Lord did this thing, and he said, all right, whoever's staff buds, a wooden staff, an innate object, whoever's buds, they are the one. They are the leader. That is the truth. So you could say there's the way, and then there's the truth. And then you could look at the manna, and you could say, what's manna? Sustaining food, life. So you could say that the Ark of the Covenant is a representative of the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, come on, York Street. Who's the way, the truth, and the life? Jesus. Oh, could it be that this story is, yes, a historical, true, real story, but also a prophetic picture of the Messiah who was to come to redeem all of humanity for all of eternity and a call for us to stop looking at our own tents and to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the Father so that we would not grow weary and lose heart. It's not just a boring story in Scripture. This speaks to us in our day, in our season, that we would be a people with long vision. Why so far ahead? So you would not, you would not lose sight of it amongst the mess. Perspective is everything. Think about it. When you have a million people standing on a riverbed, even with however many people are in this room right now, if I come here, we could have a really intimate conversation and it would be really great. But people back there, look, already I can see people twisting their heads because they can't see me, right? I come back up here, what happens? Vision is clear. Bible says people perish for lack of vision. The reason the ark is so far in front is so that all of Israel can fix their eyes upon the presence of God. Friends, we live in a world right now where everything at every moment, at every turn is telling us to concern ourselves with what's in our tent. It is a consumerist, immediate culture. Live for the now, live for this very moment. And the Bible is the opposite. It says get back, get perspective, live with long vision. Recognize it's a long game. That God is who he said he is. I felt so strong in my spirit this morning to encourage families this Father's Day. I see you guys in that back room right there. I have been there. I had three children under three. I know. I know. Sometimes you come to church with your little one and you think, what is the point? You can be honest with me, right? I'm a guest preacher. 
You say, what's the point? I'm getting nothing out of it. Who said that before? Be honest right now. I get nothing out of it. Why? Because we walk into church, the kid's screaming, this one's screaming, then we start screaming at each other and we're like, ah, we might as well just go home. Right? That's the honest truth that sometimes we come here like, it's just so hard. What is the point? I'm getting nothing out of it. Guess what? It's not about you. Church, the gathering is not about you. It is about him. It is for him and for the next generation that they would know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. I had a mentor in one of these times and I said to him, how are all your children following the Lord? What did you do? And he goes, I didn't do much. But do you know what we did do? We came to church. We got here, even when we felt like we were getting nothing out of it. But what we were doing was training our children in the way they should go. So that one day our prayer would be that something caught them and something grabbed their heart and that they would not depart from it in generations to come. We have to get long vision, not immediate vision. We have to step back and look forward and fix our eyes on the one who gave everything for us. A preacher once said, I don't know if it was a preacher or a lecturer, but someone said it. I'm not going to claim it as my own, but they said, you know what? The Lord doesn't ask much. He doesn't ask much of us just for our everything. Isn't that beautiful? It's because we get so consumed by our tents that we think it's heaps. We get so consumed by the the inner tent, the body. We think we're really important when actually we're just the dust of the earth that's here today and gone tomorrow. We think the stuff we're consuming, the stuff that we're trying to get, the money and the status and the followers and the fame, we're like, all of this is really important. Actually, it's all here today and gone tomorrow. But there is one who has come who is eternal and he's given us an internal inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. Oh, come on, someone. It will never perish, spoil or fade. And he's drawing us to that. He's saying, if you just lift your eyes off of your tents toward the tabernacle and realize that we were created for the presence of God, in whom is all things, sustaining, eternal, glorious, infinitely valuable. He doesn't ask much, just our everything. But what we gain is so much, like, it's immeasurable. That's the call of God, long vision. And if the people of God would get long vision, we'd be well on our way to leaving a legacy that is actually worth leaving. Number two. How we going, church? Number two, watch this. Not only do we need long vision, two, verse five, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Long vision, clean clothes. Do you know what? Consecrate yourselves. It literally means, in the Hebrew, it means to clean your clothes. Get long vision and get clean clothes. Now, what does that mean? This whole idea of consecration, it's a religious ritual that you would go through this washing ritual. You would wash yourself. You would wash your clothes. And that would symbolize purity and it would symbolize holiness. So I'm washing away my sin. I'm washing away the nonsense of my life and I'm going to sanctify myself before the Lord. Now I can already see some saints in this place who look at me like, Dave, that's old covenant. 
I'm washed by the blood. I just celebrated it, mate. And you're like, it's old covenant. I don't need that. I'm renewed and redeemed. Yes, you are. Amen. Hallelujah. We are washed and redeemed. We cannot make ourselves holy, pure, or righteous, can we? That is the finished work of Christ. Only Christ could do it. But consider this. The biblical picture of that, the story that God uses over and over and over again, the image is that of clean clothes, clean robes. I've given you white robes to wear, yeah? He has given us the white robes. What happens at the wedding banquet of the Lamb? There are people who are given robes to enter. This this idea of clean clothes, consecration. He's given us clean clothes. But here's the thing. When you've got clean clothes, it impacts the way you live. How many of you have ever eaten bolognese with a white shirt? What happens? You're very careful. Some of you are like, I'm always careful, Dave. Doesn't matter if I've got white clothes or brown clothes, I'm always careful. But most of us aren't. If I'm wearing a black shirt and I've got bolognese and I'm hungry, that thing just goes down. Yeah? If I'm wearing my new white T-shirt or my new white jumper, I sit there, put my chin forward. Anybody with me? (laughs) Chin forward, might even put a little napkin if I'm at a restaurant, and I'm very careful because I don't want to spill it, but I also don't want the splash because you might not hit it on the first drop, but it might hit and bounce back, and then it's still ruined, right? (laughs) And this is the picture of, of us in Scripture. He gives us the clean clothes. He gives us the white robe, but it's supposed to impact the way we live. It's supposed to change the way we go about acting in our everyday lives. It's called sanctification. We are, we are sanctified, we are being sanctified, and we will be sanctified, but we live different to what we lived before because of the clothes we've been given. It impacts us. It changes us. By the power of His Spirit at work in us, life looks different. And that is the call here, that we would be a people with clean clothes, that we would recognize that that is the call of God, to leave a legacy is to look different, clean clothes. And the third thing, and the band, you can come up and we're going to close. Third thing we see. So we've got long vision, clean clothes. Here's the third thing, wet feet. Watch this, verse seven, oh, verse six. Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I'll begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priest, watch this, who carried the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. It's flood season. The Jordan River is about 1.6 kilometers wide. At its depth, deepest place, it's 12 meters deep. There's some of you like, oh, that's not that bad. That's only 1,500 meters. Oh, Kieran Perkins swam that in less than 15 minutes. I reckon I could handle that. But here's the fascinating thing. It's not just one person who's a capable swimmer. There's a million people of all ages and stages. There's livestock. There is so much going on. And I love, I love, I love, I love, I love that God leads them to the edge and he says, stand there for three days. Do you know what three days is? 
just enough time to realise you have absolutely no chance of crossing that river. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, how much can you picture Joshua on day one gets her and is like, well, I reckon we can handle this because it's just a short swim. I reckon if we, you know, there's some trees over there, we could lop them down. Then he goes, hey, guys, come over here. Let's have a, let's have a strategic meeting. We're going to talk about this. How's this going to work out? We could build a raft. We could build a boat. Or we could build an ark. We've got, still got that, you know, thing happening from back in the day. I'm sure we can figure this out. But after three days of camping by this river, all the strategies have fallen to the ground and they just realise, nah, we're stuffed. There is no crossing this barrier. This is an insurmountable object. And God's like, great. I've finally got you where I want you. Realising that you can't do this in your own strength. You need a miracle. You need me to intervene. That's the only way this object, this obstacle, this river gets crossed. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to have long vision. You're going to have clean clothes. And I'm calling you to have wet feet. Because it's not enough just to stand back here and watch. No, no. I want you to take a step of faith. You want to see these waters part? You go and put your feet in those waters and believe that I am able. And so the priests take the Ark of the Covenant and they get their feet wet and the river's rushing, and it's like muddy, and they're thinking, what the heck are we doing? What if God doesn't come through? Anyone been in a place where you think, if God doesn't come through, I'm going to look awfully foolish? I have. (laughs) And there they are, standing with their feet in the river, and all of a sudden, the waters start to stand up. Could you imagine? Like sometimes we read these stories and we don't think, right? Just put yourself in that moment for a second. There you are, a priest, and the water's literally receding. But more than that, what I love about this passage, it's not just that the water's part, it says they crossed on what? Dry ground. Ever been in a river? Ever gone water skiing? Ever when you're trying to put the water ski in and one foot's like calf deep in that stupid silty soil that happens by the river? How difficult it is to walk? Anybody? God knows that. How good is that detail? He actually knows. This is like, I've got a million plus people that have to cross this, some of whom are in, you know, are, are elderly. That's going to be really difficult to trudge through the mud for 1.6 kilometres. So here's what I'll do. I'll split the waters, but because I love you so much and I want you to know how invested and engaged I am in your ever-present reality, I'm going to dry the ground because I'm the God of immeasurably more than you could hope or imagine. I am the God of abundance. I am the God of enough. And so he calls us and says, go and get your feet wet. Be a people of faith. Take a step. And as you take the step of faith, then I will be true to my word because that is who I am. As a church right now, you can start playing and I promise you I'll close. <laughs> as a church, as a church, we, like, we, we worship, the, one of our campuses, we're worshiping in a gym, okay, a school gym. So we set up, we pack down and we've been doing that for four years. And we've been looking for land. We've been 
praying and believing for land, for a place to call home. And just on Friday, we signed on the bottom line for six acres of land in a brand new housing estate area. Yeah, praise God. But can I tell you, the best thing about this journey was just a couple of months ago when it was, look, there was a few options on the table and we're having congregational meetings because that's what we do as Baptists. And we're talking, the questions kept coming back. Dave, how are we going to afford this? How are we going to do it? So I'm putting my strategies together. I'm meeting with people. I'm like, meeting the treasurer. How are we going to do this? What's it going to look like? We've got to account for every cent. And I felt like God said to me after a while when I realized we couldn't do it, I'm like, how am I going to convince people that this is a good idea? And I felt like God said, Dave, that's the whole point. Because if you can strategically account for every cent, then it's you. But if you have to just stand there with your feet wet in the middle of the river and say, I don't know, then it's him. So I stood in front of our church and it was the best thing. I stood there and they're like, how are we going to do this? And I said, I've got absolutely no idea, but I believe in a God who can split the waters. And everyone went, amen. I don't know how it's all going to work out for us. There's a big road ahead, but here's what I do know. My God is faithful. And what we are called to is to be faith-filled. Be faithful with what He's given us and faith-filled to what He's calling us into. Let me say that again. Be faithful with what He's given us and be faith-filled with what He's calling us into. Let's be a people with wet feet. Let's be a people, the priesthood of all believers. It's not just the Levites who go. No, 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 no. It's not just Tim who has to go before you, York Street. No, 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 no. You're a church of Christ. You know this. It's the priesthood of all believers. The Spirit of God is in you as much as it's in Tim. He's just appointed by God to preach and lead. You are also appointed by God to be a people who are faithful and faith-filled and to get your feet wet. Everybody's got to get their feet wet. And if everybody's prepared to get their feet wet, you will see, as this passage says, the Lord do amazing things in your midst. Does anybody here at York Street want to look back five years from now and go, wow, the Lord did amazing things in my day. I believe with all my heart, the Lord is going to do amazing things in the midst of this very congregation. If you're prepared to have long vision, clean clothes, and wet feet. Would you stand to your feet? I feel to pray. And I'd love, an oppor- I'd, I'd love to give opportunity. I'd love to pray with people. And if you'd like prayer today, do we, we've got a leadership team. Leaders, can you come forward? I don't know how this works. Again, I'm a guest. But if we've got leaders who are ready to pray, come forward and let's, let's be there to pray with people. If you'd like encouragement today, if you've got something going on in your life, that you feel stuck, if you feel like there's a Jordan River in your world and you don't know how to cross it, even if it's today, something's been raised up, some stuff going on in family, maybe for you there's children who have walked away from the Lord and you're like, this is an insurmountable task. I can't make them believe. We'd love to pray with you today and believe that the Lord is the one who will do amazing things in your midst. Amen? Maybe there's something happening in your business And you're like, this is an insurmountable object. I don't know how we're going to pass. Look to the memorial stone. 
come, we'd love to pray with you and encourage you. And you would know that the Lord is powerful. You would know that He is on about His name, not your name. And so come and pray and seek the Lord. And we believe for a miracle in your day. I don't know what's going on in your world, but we would love to encourage you. We'd love to pray with you as we sing this song. Loving Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person here, each person a member of York Street Church of Christ. Father God, I pray over this community. Lord, I pray that they would be a people of long vision. Lord, I pray there'd be a people who would walk with clean clothes, who would not spend their time dwelling in their tents, but they would fix their eyes on you walking in holiness and purity. Father, that they would be a people of wet feet. Lord, I just ask your blessing upon them, upon every member and upon all that you want to see happen in and through the ministry of this church. Lord, we pray for this city, Ballarat. We pray for revival to come to this place. We pray for renewal to come to this place. Lord, Ballarat doesn't need more religious institutions. It needs revived institutions. And Lord, I pray that revival would sweep through this house, that revival would sweep through the churches. Lord God, that there would be a heart for unity, that there would be a heart for your word, that there would be a heart for worship, a heart for prayer, that there would be a a groundswell, Lord, of youth and young adults and not so young adults and old people who come together to seek your face and pray that people would start meeting in paddocks, that they'd start meeting in coffee shops, that they'd start meeting at lookouts, that they'd start meeting just to pray, to seek your face, to ask you to do something in this generation and in this day. And Lord, that we would get our feet wet and that we would see in our day, Lord, not 40 years of desert wandering, but we would see waters parting, and mud going dry. And we would see a crossing into the promise that this is the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would see revival and renewal in our day, we pray in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all the saints said, Amen. We're gonna sing and if you want prayer, please come. We'd love to encourage you in the Lord today. God bless. If you would like prayer, or to find our sermon-based studies, please head to our website or check the description below for a link. If you enjoyed the video, feel free to share the video, like, subscribe, and hit the bell icon for updates of when we release new videos. Remember, life can be tough, so let's do it together.